Daddy Squared. Gay Dads Save the World. A daily dose of gay dads on the front lines of the global pandemic. With Alex McGann and Jan Dick. Ba, ba, ba. Hello. <laughs> Alex, how are you doing? Wait, was that really the way we're starting? Yeah. Okay. I'm doing okay. For some reason, I'm in a good mood right now. Maybe because the kids just did something down. fun yeah. and they were in a good mood. Oh, that's fine. So every day we're calling one dad who is an essential worker. I like waiting to hear you try to say the word uh, essential. Uh, worker. <laughs> and we're, asking, we're basically asking the same questions. So it's like question about the work, about family, trying to keep it positive, even though, you know, it's, it's not very easy these days. Yeah. And also what's uh, special today is that yesterday we talked to David. Today we're going to call his husband. Eli. So his husband is an oncologist yeah. in New York City. Well, obviously. It's quite a couple. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's a power couple. It's totally a power couple. Yeah. Um, so we're going to call him in a minute. But uh, before that, Alex, do you have something to share with us? Something nice? Uh, yeah, there is actually one. Um, we live in West Hollywood, which is not a particularly loud part of Los Angeles, but it's Los Angeles and there's there's noise. Um, not on par with New York, but there's noise. Um, and since, you know, lockdown, it has gotten so quiet. And I will say that there is something awfully nice about, you know, after the kids get in bed, I can go and sit in the backyard, which we are blessed to have, and... The silence is magnificent, and I'm just not used to it. It's kind of wonderful. You know, yesterday we talked about guilt. I came out with an iPad thing. Yeah. Um, I give them the, we give them uh, more iPad, and and I feel I mean I feel bad about it, and I feel guilty about it. But on the other hand, you know, it's uh, I feel that it's something that I have to do to keep my sanity. So. Overnight, I was thinking about it, that who do I have to apologize to uh, in that? Uh-huh. It's not to society. It's more to the kids, mm-hmm. right? So, I, And I thought about things that, and I'm like, should I apologize for that or not? Am I sorry? Am I not sorry? Okay. So I wrote a list of things that I'm sorry about to my kids and a, things, a list of things that I'm not sorry about. And I'd like to read it to you guys. I hope you understand my broken English with my flawed accent. I think it's beautiful. <gasps> So it's to my kids, yes, not to you. (laughs) I'm sorry that sometimes when you get angry or in distress, I don't have the capacity to be there for you and console you because I'm angry or or distressed myself. I'm sorry that I don't understand what's the big deal that you can't find the toy that you want in an exact moment. I'm sorry that I have to be your party pooper and stop you from having the joy of doing dangerous experiments in the house. I'm sorry that I get impatient sometimes and I don't consider your opinions. I'm also sorry that sometimes I pretend to listen to you and reply with words like, really? Wow. Even though I'm not really listening to your stories. I'm sorry that I scream and tell you not to scream, that I use words that I I tell you not to use, that I tell you that you can't use your iPads all the time while I'm using my phone. I'm sorry for having such high expectations from you sometimes. And in other times, I have such low expectations that can make you feel like you can't do stuff. I'm sorry for all my actions that you experience as hurtful and I don't even know about. Now to the list that not sorry. Okay. Okay. So I'm not sorry for considering my needs and care about my feelings and my well-being 
just as much as I care about yours. I'm not sorry for not taking your difficulties to my heart. It's important for me that you understand that growing up is difficult. Taking responsibilities for your actions is great, but it's also very hard. I'm not sorry for my need to grow and learn more about myself, which requires a lot of experiment on myself that sometimes can hurt my surroundings. I'm not sorry for loving my work and love what I do and love being an adult, which sometimes means that I'd rather watch adult movies instead of Archibald's next big thing. Not sorry that you're not all of my world, but know that all of my world can't be without you. I think that in our regular season, we spend a lot of time talking about the balance of you know, who we are as individuals and how much we want to hold on to that individuality and how much we want to hold on to ourselves as a couple versus as dads. I think these things are really important. And I think that what you're not sorry for makes so much sense because if you were sorry for all of those things, it would make you a lesser father than you are. The second thing I'll say is that when you say adult movies in English, <laughs> I know what it, it means. means porn. And that's listen, <laughs> I watch Faro. Remember that porn oh, movie? Oh, okay. Really quickly. Very once early on in our relationship, Jan decided to introduce me to a piece of porn he liked. And he got the porn out and he played it for me and it was like a pharaoh and the slaves scene with like headdresses and like all and of hot these, guys and nubians and i was like hot muscular guy f is this um yeah it's just not you know it's not it's not my my thing but uh it was funny i was impressed all anyway. right uh let's uh, call eli and guys if you have anything to comment please let us know we'd like to interact with you so hello at daddysqr.com yes please and uh, here we go yeah eli hi how are you guys <laughs> We're, okay. uh, we're good. So yesterday we talked with your husband and we now want to hear your side of the story. So first of all, let us know uh, just uh, in general, what, what kind of work do you do and how did it change since the pandemic? So um, I'm, a, I'm a physician um, and I'm a uh, what's called a neuro-oncologist. So I treat um, uh, brain tumors. Uh, and I specialize in a rare blood disorder. So I do research and I treat patients with this rare blood cancer. Um, so um, that has been, you know, that has been altered quite a bit, although not because I'm sort of directly taking care of COVID patients. Um, just lots of different elements of medical practice have been very disrupted by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you, have you, I mean, I guess in your line of work, these patients can't just be delayed. Uh, you know what? We're busy with the virus. So come back next month. Uh, you have to keep the schedule of what you're doing with your patients pretty much up so, to date. Or what? So, it's, so the problems are exactly like that. You know, the, um, the, yeah, I mean, a lot of these cancers will not wait. Um, yet, nonetheless, sometimes they are because, um, patients are frail, and they um, it could be possible that they really shouldn't continue treatment at this time, uh, or um, they don't want to. They're too uh, afraid. Right. Um, and even if people are continuing treatment, they they may not want to go 
to the hospital to get a scan, or if they're having a symptom of concern, they don't want to go to the doctor. So, yeah. um, uh, or you know, things may be getting worse, and they don't want to go to the hospital. So sometimes problems that could have been small end up very big. Right. Um, and you know, treatments are you know continuing, but there are complications where they're halted, and it's kind of the whole spectrum. Do you find that? Um Cancer patients, um, especially ones with, I don't know, serious, forgive me for if I'm using terminology that's idiotic, a serious forms of cancer. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, do, you, do you find that they have a different perspective on this virus situation than a normally healthy person would? Do they look at the world with a different perspective? Uh, what, what has been your experience with them? Um, you know... Um I, so my patients who are these people who have had a rare cancer for quite some time and it took them a long time to be diagnosed and um, a long time to arrive at treatment, they are very, very fearful of anything that could rock the boat of their health. I see. So, um, you know, my patients um, have been people who were sort of early adopters of social distancing, um, you know, very fearful of getting sick. Um you know, very compliant with any instructions about things that they need to do to like curtail their work or activity. So the people that I have been treating, um, you know, there've been, there's been no, no impunity, no denial. They've kind of really gone with the program. Right. Uh, So I guess what I was, what I was aiming at was um, this kind of idea that some people might have. uh, I've spoken to some, some very old people who have said kind of shrugged and said in an incredibly New York Jewy kind of way, um, well, you know what? I'm old. At some point, I'm going to go anyway. Uh, have you felt like there's been any of that that has uh, come from patients who have, you know, had their lives very much in danger for some extended period of time? No. I for In my experience, you know, for cancer patients, the, um, the virus has not sort of been engaged with like kind of like a, a nihilism that you uh-huh. sort of seem to be describing. Not, right. not for me, at least. Okay. All right. Uh, David told us that you were tested positive. So did it happen yes. through work? What's, <laughs> yeah. what's the story there? Um, I was, I had a couple days where I wasn't feeling entirely well in a very non-specific way. I felt a little off and I felt kind of anxious and I, I had. I must have had enough of a premonition that I canceled my day of patience, which I almost never do. Right. Um, and um, I actually ended up feeling completely fine for a couple of days, and then I was sitting at home watching TV late at night, and I found myself piled under three blankets. Oh. And um, David and David came into the room and he said, "What is going on in here?" And I uh. said, "What are you talking about? It's freezing in here." Oh, and he God. said, "He he, he said um, uh, it is not cold at all in here." And so I, I took my temperature and I had a fever right. and I, I was out the door within about three minutes. I just packed the essentials and, um, you know, which to me was, you know, underwear, a toothbrush and a bottle of wine. And I was out the door. <laughs> so I think it, fortunately, I think it spared every, the rest of the household. From and, getting- and that's actually uh, curious to me. So you say you think it did. You don't, your family does not end up doing testing because you were in the same house with them and you were tested positive? How does that work? No, no. I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I was, my illness was, 
it was bothersome and a nuisance, but it was not severe. And if I were not a physician who, you know, was going to be treating patients in the hospital a couple of weeks later, I think as not as a physician, I wouldn't have been tested even as the sick person, let alone the sort of primary secondary contacts of a positive person. You know, if, if you were testing everyone like that, you'd be testing everyone in the city. So that's just not how I see. it has panned out. So okay. what did you do for two weeks? <laughs> so I um, I saw only pixelated faces for right. two weeks. I did not see other humans. Um, I was did you see patients only, that way? But no, I, I did not. I did um, I did some televisits because right. one of the um, upshots of the pandemic has been sort of um, various kinds of remote medicine mm -hmm. getting up and running. So of I me mean, of the fourteen days I was in quarantine, I was only sick for three. Right. Okay. Um, and and the rest of it, I was just bouncing off the walls. So I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I got a fair amount of work done, and I did, um, I did a good amount of patient care. Um, uh, I, I have a somewhat limited amount of patient care anyway because I'm mainly research. But I uh, I saw patients, quote unquote, um, by FaceTime and telephone, um, kind of as I normally would now in the new normal. Got it. Right. And and uh, how about your kids? Uh, did you? What form of interaction did you have with your kids during that period? Screaming through the door or? Uh, no, or? no, no, no. I was, you know, David's parents have an apartment in our neighborhood uh. that they um, have not been using. So I was there and I saw the kids for um, FaceTime two or three times a day. And I see. It. I see. Okay. Tell us uh, three positive things uh, that came out during this time for you. Not the quarantine, um, like in general. Uh, three positive things out of we're looking, out of this we're looking whole pandemic. We're looking for silver linings. Yes. Mm, mm. I think that um, you know while there have been many many challenges to parenting at this time, um, there have been occasional. I don't want to say <laughs> I don't want to say tons, but there have been some very cherished tender moments that come with the kids that really only happen when you spend sort of prolonged uninterrupted time. Um, and that prolonged uninterrupted time is very difficult, but it has dividends from time to time. And so there have been those, and you know, those are those moments that you wouldn't trade in for anything. Um, so there's that. Okay. Um, from a, from a, you know, from a work standpoint, um, things have been very disrupted, um, but there have been moments when I've been able to sort of stop being distracted and upset that I've had probably more, more concerted free time to think and, you know, write and do my thing mm. than I have normally. Right. Um, and, and on a totally separate level, um, uh, it has been, it's been warming to see some of the kind of virtual community type events that have happened that have sort of kept people together you know i'm thinking about sort of musical events djs playing sets online sort of you know things that have come about for people to um have joy and feel together totally and i agree sometimes these things are absolutely magical and so when was the last time that you when was the last time that you laughed about something real, a real good one um a real good one um well, I do remember having a laugh this morning when my, my daughter, like, I think we were finishing breakfast and she told, like, some poop joke 
for like the three thousandth time, but yes. she cackled herself breathless. And so <laughs> I think we all had a laugh. After laughing. <laughs> all right, listen. The last question is uh, intended to shame you, and it goes like this: uh, What meal have you been the most ashamed of during the last week? And we <laughs> and we want you to we want you to that's, dig. That's we want easy. you to dig deep. That's an easy one. Well, because that's your husband your husband's uh, uh, shameful meal was basically what we eat all day every day, and so we're hoping you can do worse than that. So in in my quarantine, um, I had like a bucket of like like fried like chicken fingers like the size of Puget Sound. Yes, good. <laughs> with that bottle of wine? So, <laughs> I think I think that <laughs> bottle of wine was long gone. There was another. All right. Well, Eli, thank you so much thank for you joining so us much. today. Take good care. Yeah, be okay. well. Bye-bye. 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 B